You're listening to the Duplication Nation MLM podcast. Leaders live here. Hey, we're back with another episode of Chopping It Up With dot, dot, dot. But before I get into the name that comes after the dot, 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 every few episodes, I need to set the stage for you listeners and viewers because otherwise we never talk to you. <laughs> if you hear for the first time, this, these are, it's just a series of conversations with superstars who are in the leverage sales, direct selling, party plan, MLM space. They're big kid conversations, explicit language, real world locker room talk. And I just get together with some of my friends who are brilliant people and we have a conversation. And this is actually a project that comes out of duplicationnation.com, which is a new uh, project I'm doing with Jaime Lokier, um, just creating a media company to support the best practices in our profession, feature the good guys and good gals, teach people real world skill sets. Um, I will say a couple of quick resources and then we're gonna jump into it. But if you go to duplicationnation.com, go down to the bottom, you'll see MLM Bootcamp. It's a three, it's a free three-week survival training, like the basic training you'd get if you join the Navy SEALs. But instead of the Navy SEALs, we're talking about direct selling. How do you survive? How do you prepare? How do you train yourself? So that's free. You should have everybody on your team on that. And then you'll also see a box there for a paid newsletter, which is called MLM Confidential. And that is not for everybody. That's for leaders. And it's a subscription product, comes out once a, uh, once a month, uh, segment on duplication, segment on leadership, a personal challenge. And then we have a session called The Dish, which kind of keeps you up to date on what is going on with the people and the companies in our space. So new this part, this YouTube channel, do you know, you may be if you're listening on the podcast, we're on all the major platforms. And then we put up a video version of this on the YouTube channel of Duplication Nation. The audio podcast is Duplication Nation MLM. So with all that out of the way, I want to chop it up with dot dot dot. A, a superstar in the profession who has been with the same company for 18 years now. And every time that I know of, he's usually at the top of that company. And a delightful guy brimming with wisdom and insights and one of the people who have helped advance our profession. It is none other than Jordan Beach Money Adler. <laughs> so, up, Jordan. Randy? Hey, you know what, Randy? I, I just have to say this before we start. I guess we started, but I just have to say this before we start. Uh, you know, I used to watch you as a, I, you know, I was, I had been in network marketing for years and never signed a single person up. And I used to watch you from the stage and I bought your book, um, How to Build a Multi-Level Money Machine, um, many, many, many years ago. What year did you write that? Uh, I wrote you know, that in 
96, I think. Yeah, so it was right around the time I started to get a little bit of traction. I think I signed up my first uh, first distributor in 94, late 94 was when I signed up my first distributor. But I'd been involved in the profession since 81. And and I'd been hearing your name and I'd see I'd listen to your, you know, your um audio cassette tapes and all that. And I used to just admire your philosophies, your approach. I learned so much from you and I probably gave I probably gave your book away at least a hundred times over the course of the years. And, and, uh, but it's to be here now, what, however many years later, 40 years later, talking to you like this is pretty astounding to me, you know? So I, I just want to thank you. And I'm, I'm excited to be here and having this conversation. We've known each other for a while now, but, um, but uh, just to, to look back at flashback, go back in time and to remember those days, it's kind of cool that we're here and we're still alive and we're still kicking. It is cool. And, you know, there's a cliche, the years have not been kind, but for you and me, you know what? I think the years have been very kind, very kind I indeed. Think so too. And you know, when you're, when you're in your thirties, you imagine that when you're in your mid sixties, that you're like the, the old guy with the beard sitting in a rocking chair, you know? <laughs> uh, and uh, I guess uh, it, it, it didn't turn out exactly like that, but I like the way it turned out better. Yeah. Same for me. I, you know, I, I was actually in a hot tub with a couple of guys and one guy started a conversation. So if you're in a hot tub, there's no way to, you know, I'm not a talk to strangers kind of guy, strike up, you know, very private, <laughs> introverted. But so he starts this conversation. There's no way for me to skate because I'm in the hot tub. And he said something. I was probably 25 or 23 or something like that. And he said, yeah, life really begins at 50. Mm. And I thought, what the fuck is this crazy? <laughs> I think it, life begins at 50. You're dead by the time you're 50. Because this yeah. is what I'm thinking. And he said, and I'm, so I guess my quizzical look, he said, no, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, I can see by, you know, but I used to think like you do, but you know, by the time you're 50, you've actually figured out who you want to be in life. You probably put together some money enough that you can actually live a nice life. And that's when your creativity and your exploration and your development really takes off. And I thought the guy was so crazy, but I really believe that was true for me. I felt, I feel like my life really started hitting on all the gears only after I was 50. Yeah, I, I, I felt that in my mid-30s, and then I felt it again in, in my 50s, where I felt like I was in a really good place, where I could really, again, like you said, just be able to express creativity, because I'm in a place now where I don't have to fight for the money so much. I, didn't, I don't have to work for the money so much. I don't have to chase it so much. Um, and so it, it puts you in a mental state where you can really, and, 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 and you know, you teach, and it's, it's important to see if you can get yourself into that mental state before you get to 50 yeah. um, so that you can, you can be in a point where you attract um, where you can attract the abundance uh, long before you have it long before you really have acquired the material things that you're looking for. So to speak. That's why I do the work I do. I just, if I could help somebody discover that when they're 40 or 30 or even mm -hmm. it's like last night I was watching uh, American Idol 
I'm a I'm a sucker for all talent <laughs> shows, singing, dancing talent, you know. And I am just shocked at the talent. There is a 15 year old girl on there this season. There is a like 16 year old kid, a guy, another one who's like 17. The stage presence, the confidence, the maturity, the that they I just think when I was 29, 30, I was a hot mess. My life was a disaster. You know, I lost my uh, restaurant when I was 30. The IRS seized it. Uh, my health was horrible. My relationships were horrible. I was broke. And I'm looking at, so I always say, you know, man, if I could share some of these lessons I learned and help people, like some of these kids I see on the talent show, I mean, they're really the same thing on The Voice. They have a couple of really young teens who have just, world-class talent that you know yeah, it's, gonna, it's gonna be crazy it is and in the, in the, in social media and the, and youtube have have really been the platform to discover that talent that in the past it was out there but and but it wasn't fostered to the level it is today because today you can learn anything from youtube right you can learn anything you want from youtube but also the ability to discover talent that, that we didn't have before where people can become famous on YouTube by, by their skills. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, it also made me think when you were talking about that, Randy, it made me think of Steven Tyler and um, Tom Jones. So these guys, so Steven Tyler and Tom Jones, um, when if it, both of them have constantly had to reinvent themselves over the years, obviously. I mean, Steven Tyler went through a lot of drug, drug and alcohol rehab multiple times and, Tom Jones, I actually, my, my mom was really into Tom Jones when I was a kid. So, and I couldn't stand the guy. Like I'd watch him. I'm like, what is she? I don't understand what she sees in this guy. My, but mom, today, my mom had every album he ever did. Why, was, why, was, why, was, Delilah, everything. <laughs> yeah. So he was a big deal. So, so my mom was gone. Um, Tom Jones was coming to Vegas. I, I had no interest in him as a kid, but he was coming to Vegas and I, one night I had the night free and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go see Tom Jones in honor of my mom. I'm going to go see Tom Jones. So I bought one ticket. I sat in the first row and he was really good. And in the concert, this was probably 15 years, 12 years ago, 12 years ago in the concert, Tom Jones said that he's going to make a, he's going to experience a rebirth and he's going to become a big famous star again. And I didn't believe it. He was great. He was phenomenal, but I didn't believe it because the guy's old. He was already old. But today, I don't know if you've seen, he's on The Voice, and he's like the OG. Tom Jones is like the OG. And, and it's inspiring to me to see guys like Steven Tyler and Tom Jones and how they've continually, and Sylvester Stallone, I mean, yeah. another example, yeah. you know, uh, how they've continued to reinvent themselves and rebirth themselves to a point where they create a whole new level of success and contribution that you know, most people, you know, they're like one hit wonders or they don't even make it that far because they give up on their dreams. Of like all my rock bands, Aerosmith is like my personal favorite. Me too. So there's a show, Steven Tyler. I've got access to backstage. He rolls up in the limo. He gets out of the limo. He's puking all over the parking oh, lot. Oh, wow. He's wow. been, you know, high all night, drinking all night. He's a complete mess. He gets on stage 
and he rocks the Casbah. I mean, yeah. just you flip a switch, and I thought, this is really horrible. You know, we always say, hey, kids, don't do drugs, because if you do, <laughs> you know, these bad things. And I'm like, he is like the opposite. He, I mean, nobody partied harder than him. No. Um, and he just, and of course, now he's sober and he's, you know, that's why he was actually a judge on American Idol one, uh, one season, because he called his agent and said, find me something to do to keep me sober, something that mm. will challenge me. And yeah. so that's why he became a judge one year. I got to show you something, Randy, right around my computer here. I got to grab something. Hang on. I, I know what it, I know what it is, because I know you, you know what it's, it is. It's going to be a picture <laughs> Of you with Steven Tyler and Joe Perry, uh, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. There it is. Yes. <laughs> I remember when you put that on Facebook when it happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's, you know, and again, it's like it's it's, and then there's a lot to learn from people that have been around for many years like that. I mean, I look at I, I, one thing Steven Tyler always used to do, and you, I didn't realize he was doing it back then, but he did the backstage pass thing. Not, not very many artists do that where you can, yeah. you know, pay a little extra money and go backstage and meet him and talk to him. And he's very personable and very social. And there's a lot of value in that for his fan base. Yeah. And sure. um, there's a lot to learn regarding in, in your network marketing career as well around just little simple things like that, you know, meet the people, <laughs> you yeah, know, absolutely. Yeah. And Tom Jones is like, he is an OG. He's still, he's still killing it. Um, Sly. He's good. Sly is now he's spinning off. I think it's Creed three is out now or just about to yeah. come out. And he just crazy. Keep, yeah. He's done really well. Um, you know what I wanted to, to, to get to quickly with you. Okay. Um, was we both shared the stage at many mastermind events and you used to tell a story about your credit card debt. And yeah. A very visual demonstration. So I'm wondering, do you still tell that story and can you share it? Yeah, I still actually in the other room, I've got the credit card. I know exactly where they are. So, so yeah, I, I um, back in the old days used to be, you know, if you had one credit card with a $300 limit, let's say you're 21 years old and you got one credit card, they usually in good faith, they give you your first credit card just to see if you can handle it. And uh, this is how it was back then. And if you paid your payments on time and you um, stayed on top of things, they'd send you applications that were pre-approved. And I started, the application started pouring into the mailbox and I probably listened to a cassette tape that talked about the value in having credit. And so I started ordering these cards and getting as much debt debt potential as I could. And I ended up with 22 over the course of about five years. I had 20, I was in my twenties. I had 22 credit cards and um, I, I got, I had big dreams and I was getting involved in different network marketing companies. The first book I ever picked up was at a garage sale for 25 cents. It was my first introduction to residual income and leverage. And that was Don Fela's book, the 10 uh -huh. African presentations. Right. Uh -huh. So that was probably Randy, I'm going to ask you, how many books back then in the early 80s, how many books had been written on network marketing back then? Not a lot. You had Phelan. Five, four, yeah. John Kalinch had a series. He had four or five, John Kalinch, the late, great John Kalinch. Um, 
I think John Fogg really set the standard when he wrote The Greatest Networker in the World, yeah. which sold a couple million copies. And because it was Richard, Richard Poe was in the 90s. Early oh, 90s, my right? God. Richard Poe, who probably he didn't really know the business, but he saw it from the outside and uh, attacked it as a journalist. And so people loved that credibility of like this third party person talking about the business. Um, yeah, I, I can't think so, of much else beside that. Um, maybe three or four, maybe three or four or five books back then. Today, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of books. Back there were just a handful. So I got my hands on this book and I read it and it, it inspired me. But I, so I started, I, anyway, I started getting credit cards because I didn't make much money. I was making under at that time, under $14,000 a year. So I didn't have money to get involved in network marketing companies and things. So I started doing it on the credit card. Started buying products on the credit cards, going to events on the credit cards. I probably bought a number of your books on the credit cards, and I racked up thirty-six thousand dollars in credit card debt on twenty-two credit cards. Maxed them out, with the exception of one. All of them were maxed out except for one. And I was told by an accountant that I needed to file bankruptcy, and I never did. Um, my twelfth network marketing company, I started making money, and by the end of my first year in my twelfth company. In today's world, people would never, nobody would laugh, but my 12th company, uh, my 11th month, I was making 180 bucks a month, about 200 bucks a month. And then by my 33rd month, I was over 30 grand a month, but I didn't have to file bankruptcy. I kept barely making my payments. And then I finally ended up paying off my cards. It took me three years, paid off every credit card, caught them all up except for two, one for personal and one for business. And I pay them off every month. And I've been for literally now for 30 years, I've been paying my credit cards off every single month. I use them a lot, but I pay them off every month, two of them. Yeah, I'm and the same. So, yeah. I, use them like, I use them like crazy because I want the frequent flyer miles or the right, hotel. Right, right. And then, but you got you got to pay them every month. If you don't, it's it's worse interest rates than the mafia, right? I mean, oh, yeah. it's That's crazy. Most people, if, if they sat down and did an inventory of what the interest alone payments they're making on those credit cards, 31, 32, 33% annual interest, it's just, you yeah. know, and as soon as they pay it down a little, they're going to get a credit increase, just like happened to you. They're going to suck. Hey, you know, you're doing such a good job. We've increased your limit and you just, it's a narcotic. It is a narcotic. And and uh, I think that there's a level of there is a level of addiction when it comes to spending money on credit cards. I, I, I don't know. I've got a few things I want to talk to you about, Randy. But one in particular is, you know, I'm here in Vegas. I'm on the 37th floor of the Waldorf in, in, in Vegas on the strip right now. I've had this place for 10 years. I don't own it. I lease it. But, you know, we're supposedly living in a recession um, right now. And. And, and maybe we are, maybe we're not. Prices are definitely going up. I even get a little sticker shock recently, and I don't get sticker shock, but I recently have been getting sticker shock on certain things that I just can't believe. You know, when you pay 28, I'm not a drinker, but once a month I'll have a drink and I don't even drink the whole drink. However, it's 28 bucks for a drink in Vegas right now, $28, um, which I just can't even imagine, but that's what it is. Uh, my question is this. Right next door is Crystal's Mall. Crystal's Mall is supposedly the most expensive mall in the United States. And the average sale for a consumer there, not 
not individual sale, but the average consumer that buys stuff other than Starbucks and, and the, you know, ocean club restaurants, the average sale purchases is $40,000 per customer at this mall. So it's a high end mall. You know, you got Tom Ford and all those kinds of places. My, and there's lines of people waiting to get into these stores. There's more traffic on Las Vegas Boulevard than I've been here in 10 years. The, the shows are all sold out for weeks in advance. The, re, the nice restaurants are sold out weeks in advance. I just don't understand where is all this money coming from? It's the crypto, it's the MLM crypto deal. That's where it's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, I, I do believe we are in a worldwide recession. And, but I believe that it's not as apparent because of this issue we just talked about, the credit that, you know, if you like, if you look at the, you know, Club 11 in Miami, right, go behind me, two miles, you're going to see Club 11, one of these go-go joints with a bottle lap dance club and they would have these crypto bros come in and buy a you know a a five hundred thousand dollar evening with cryptocurrency right those guys are long gone so the people who cater to that market they're crashed right um but still the high-end stuff like you say um you know, I, I book hotels. I'm always, I want a nice suite, a corner suite, a nice view, whatever. I was just booking one two days ago and sold out, sold out. I, I had to go to like my fourth hotel to get the kind of yeah. room yeah. that I wanted. Um, but I think it's because, and I know it's because, because I see the statistics, the amount of credit card debt, the decrease in savings, just people are... You know, I think there was this pent up demand for two years. Everybody was locked down because of the pandemic, whether you wanted to be or not. Even if you didn't believe in the, you know, COVID, you still, there was no place to go because everything was closed. You couldn't spend money if you really wanted to. Um, And now there's like this uh, pent up demand exploding and people are maxing out those credit cards and they're getting more credit cards and more. I, I'm just shocked. I, you know, I like I get my groceries delivered with Instacart and I check out and they say, would you like to finance this in four payments? On wow. Wow. Or whatever. Wow. And I'm thinking and, and I, I what was food. there was something else I just bought the other day. Um and it was, would you rather finance this with five payments of, and I'm like, these are, you know, the last thing on earth you should ever be financing is your groceries. Because oh. if, if, and if you, and, and I don't say that to be mean or snarky or judgmental, I, I get if you are a mom, single mom raising a kid or two, and you don't have enough money for food and diapers and you had a chance to, that might be a lifesaver for you. But the fact that you're in that position is horrific. And we have to change it as quick as possible. Because, you know, watch these things on TV. And it's like, you know, living room, no payments for three years, buy your car, no payments for two years. You know, lease a car, zero money down, $300 a month, and then 
Five years later, then the car is broken down. They're so upside down, they still owe 15000 more on the car than it's worth. And then they will roll over that debt and get mm-hmm. you because they want to get you in a new car and a new financing. And if your house is underwater with your mortgage, they'll roll that over and give you a bigger mortgage. And you just keep, they will allow you to get deeper and deeper and deeper in debt. That's a bigger business than the actual sale of the, that's a much bigger business than the actual sale of the products people are buying. It really is. It's, it's, and that's where, you know, at some point the bubble has to burst. That's what I, you know, I keep telling everybody who will listen in direct selling, we're going to be in the golden era this next two, three years as the, like, you know, right now, I was just reading today about, you know, the Speaker McCarthy here is trying to raise the debt ceiling and how many votes does he have. And we go through this song and dance every year. Yeah. The <laughs> deficit gets bigger every year. It's a joke. It's a it's the worst Ponzi scheme in the world. Governments, mm-hmm. right? Social Security, things like that. And but at some point you cannot finance it any longer. At some point you can't even make the interest payments. And I think that's what's gonna. There's going to be a big burst of that around the world. And, and we're a very and none, go ahead. Yeah, none of us, none of none of us have ever experienced that in our lifetime. So how does somebody prepare to prepare for that? To me, I'm keeping my gunpowder dry. I am just socking away money. I am cash, liquid assets, okay? I'm, you know, doing that. Uh, I really have looked at, and I'm just, I'm building foundation. Like for my business, this is a media company, my direct selling business. I'm like, you know, and I... I pay cash for everything, cars, Mm -hmm. homes, everything. I don't want any debt. Um, And I got away from that during the pandemic because I was supporting like five different families. And, you know, uh, I'm like, okay, I think I made some poor financial decisions out of emotion in the pandemic, but now it's time to get back on track and I'm doing that. And, um, but I think, now is the time for people to this is when you want to put a season or two of work in your business to you know talk to your family make a deal hey i i need two seasons i'm gonna miss some family time some personal thing but let me run with this for three months or six months. And then, hey, the whole family, we're going to go to Disney World or the whole family, we're going to take a cruise or whatever. That's what I think people should be doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like if you if you knew that as you get older, you know, you, you know that there's some impending things that are going to happen to you as you get older. You just know that there's certain things that are going to happen to you. Your body's going to break down at some point. Yeah. And so what do you do? You have to, you have to at that point go, you know what, to prepare for that, I got to really take care of my health. And so what does it look like? What does your health look like? Um, you know, and, and, and so that means the things that, you know, you, you're talking about, Randy, it's, um, con, you know, conserving cash, um, uh, being, uh, freeing yourself from uh, the connections and the ties that you have to, to the system that controls you because, it controls your bank account. Yeah. Um, yeah. All those kinds of things. But yeah, it's, uh, 
That's good. I, I have a, I have another another topic I want to talk about. Can we can we go there? Yeah. All right. So I was at a mastermind that I was part of for a number of years. You probably know the person that does the mastermind, and and uh, and um, I was at my fifth one, my last one. I haven't been to one in a while. My last one with this particular group, all network marketers, all six figure, seven figure earners. And the last one that I went to, this was a really interesting experience, and I'd love to get your take on this. Um, the last one I went to, half the group was under 30. Many of them were in Forex trading. Most of the group under 30 had been with their companies for two or three years. Um, the average uh, income was probably $30,000 a month. They've been with their company for two or three years. Uh, and then there was an opportunity for each of us to get up in front of the room and give a three minute, our best training tip, three minutes. And about 30 of the hundred people were there. So there were hundred people there, 50 of them were under 30. All of them were six figure and seven figure earners. Most of them have been with their companies for two or three years or more, mostly two or three years in that group. The older group had been with their companies for 10 years or 12 years or 15 years. Um, I was a hundred percent sure that my idea would win. Like I was a hundred percent sure it was an idea that it's a, it was just a, an idea that I had implemented over the years involving networking, the network and a specific example. And I got up there and it was a voting thing where everybody got to vote. I took last place. I thought I was going to take first place for sure. Last but here's what place. I learned. I took last place. My idea took last place, but you got to remember who was voting. Right. The people that were voting were 50% of the room was under 30. And right. my idea, so here's where, I, here's where it got interesting. I learned in that session that nearly 100% of the under 30 crowd had never done, set up an appointment, had never given a presentation, and does not need to follow up. That's not how they build their business today. Now, granted, a lot of them were in the Forex trading area, not all of them, but a lot of them were, some of them were in product, but none of them are doing the old school set up appointments, build relationships. They don't do that. What they're doing is their, their strategy is build three in, in a year, build 300,000 followers on Instagram or on TikTok, and then just live your life, share your life on social media. That's what they do. And I just, I, it was a, it was like, it hit me like a ton of bricks, Randy. I had no idea that the model had changed that much. And I'm just, I would just like to hear your take on it from your observation uh, in the marketplace. Okay. You may not like my take. Here we go. Um, a, a lot of people won't like my take. Um, I, I think, think I know what you're going to say, but I want to, I want to hear, I really want to hear what you think about all this. Yeah. Um, I think it's a false positive, um, like the Forex trading deals. I, I, they're not legitimate direct selling companies, 99 out of 100 of them. <clears throat> the MLM crypto companies, they're not legitimate direct selling companies, literally 100 out of 100, because it's not possible to those two business models to exist legally in a civilized country. Um, at, at this point, if you're in an MLM crypto deal, you're either ignorant, you're a criminal, or you're both. There's no 
innocent. Well, no, my sponsor told me that this was legit because his brother-in-law is a lawyer and his lawyer told him that, no, there's no excuses. Hey, the, AG, the AGs are signed up in the deal. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? right. So, there, so the thing is, um, you, and, and if you are the right telegenic personality, you can get those 300,000 followers on Instagram and you can show the Lambos and the private jets and the dinners at you know, the, at the, you were at Coachella last night watching, you know, whatever, and you're at in Ibiza for this and you're at South by Southwest and your life is just a dream thing. Um, and you will attract followers who will you will find ways to monetize them. But are you adding real value? Is there a real product getting to an end consumer providing real value? Um, Andrew Tate is the perfect example of this. He has mesmerized millions of people and they're like, wow, this is particularly young men, you know, men from 17 to 27 are so impressionable by this bullshit. And, and that's who you see in all those crypto scams and those forex exchanges is a huge demographic of young, mm -hmm. uh, alienated, isolated young men. You know, it's like the bigger issue is they don't know how to have a conversation. You know, how many of them, I was for guys who haven't seen, I did one of these with Bricia Lakari, and we were talking about this, the number of 30-year-old virgins. Mm. Where they're not virgins because they have a belief, a religious belief, or they're saving themselves from marriage. They're virgins because they don't know how to talk to a girl in person. They don't know right. how to make a conversation. They're not socially skilled enough to go out on a date they can only you know message people on apps and watch pornography and masturbate you know and it's like millions of them right yeah that's like the demographic you see being because like i do so much work in latin america right mm -hmm. this is where the crypto scams are blowing up Places like Argentina and Peru, where like Peru, Peru is a is a third world country. Lima mm -hmm. is an amazing, beautiful cosmopolitan city, but there's like three stoplights in the whole city. It's right. the Hunger Games just to drive to the <laughs> shopping mall. And the shopping mall, you're going to see guards with AK-47s. And if you got, if you make $15,000 a year or more, you live in a gated community with armed guards, all right? And you wow. still fear for your life, right? Um, so these crypto scams have come in there. I, I, I literally yesterday morning was having a conversation with a friend about one of these MLM crypto scams. And the guy was in the room when they were getting Zoom calls from people in Argentina. Because what they do is, you know, it's just hype, hype, hype. And so this is right. one of them. And they're active right now. Go Global is active doing this. And they, you know, they're telling, hey, don't you have a mortgage on your house? Is, is there, 
is there money on there? You know, yeah, your house is worth 200,000. Your mortgage is only 110. If you get a second mortgage and give us another 60,000, you know, we're, we're making 300,000, 300% a year, 3000% a year. And they're, and then of course, when the scam dries up, then they say, well, you know, we're, we're pausing payments for six months. Right, right, right. Or, you know, we were, we were hacked. And so we have to freeze the assets and we can't do any payments and we're hiring OJ to find the killers in the meantime. But, you know, but this is a great opportunity for you to buy more tokens because you can lock in this rate. And then, so like this guy was in the room when these people are calling in from Argentina saying, no, if you stop these payments, we're going to get killed. You know, and we don't mean like, we're not speaking figuratively. If if, right. if, you, if you don't release these payments, we're going to get killed in Peru, in Ecuador, in these places. So there was a case of two brothers who got kidnapped and tortured. And they got the first one and they were torturing him and cutting him up and sending the video to the other one. And then they finally. It's like cartel shit. It's, our, it's cartel it's not, shit. It's not like cartel shit. It, it is, is cartel shit. shit. Yeah. This yeah, guy, yeah. Ren, this guy Reynoso, who was just uh, uh, arrested in, in um, Mexico City while I was down there uh, a month and a half ago. He's in the cartel. They arrested him for money laundering mm. and drug running and for the cartel there in Mexico City. And he was a big, big guy in um, Go, you know, uh, Omega Pro, which became the Go Global. He's a narco trafficker. Right. And I, you wow. know, I, I saw this in Vietnam. We had somebody who joined our company. This is back when I was with Agile. Had this uh, person come in from a couple from Asia and they got a cook leg sweetheart deal. They made all kind of insider deals. And then they set up these people and they set up this way to game the system. They had everybody borrowing $10,000 buying kits to qualify people under other mm. people under other. Yeah. People. I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. And so our general manager couldn't go to work anymore because the mafia was the people, the mafia there were the people who were lending the money to these. They would say, Hey, go here. They'll lend you $10,000. You buy this kit. You're instantly a diamond director. You're going to get the pin. You're going to walk across the stage. And as far as I know, the, the first lady who started the thing, as far as I know, she's still on the run. Afraid. She's to missing. Yeah. For like four or five years, right? Four years, something like that. Well, I mean, no, you're thinking of uh, Rula, the one Rula. point lady. Yeah, no, yeah, this yeah, is, one. I'm talking about one of the distributors with Agile in that was oh. in my company in this other line, right. who either she's dead, I don't know, I hope not, but, or she was on the run the last I heard because of the organized crime. And that's who's in these crypto scams now, these Ponzi schemes. When Somebody you needs at, to give them. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, if, if you look at the kind of money that one coin was generating, of course, it's going to attract the, the highest level of cartels 
because that's as good as it's it's better than running cocaine or running heroin yeah. it's literally more profitable because you don't have any product that you got to right, deliver right it's the product is just bullshit it's air yeah we had a guy in when i was part of excel i don't know you know, do you know the name gary shockey no 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 to gary there's an american greed about gary shockey and they actually have clips uh old film clips of gary on stage at our convention but Everybody, nobody trusted the guy. He showed up to the convention by himself, but he made ambassador in one year. Most people, it took him eight years to get to ambassador. He did right. it in one year and he, he showed up at the convention and he had nobody there. It was just him. But he's getting <laughs> recognized on stage as a new ambassador. And it's like, there's something just a little off here, right? Right. Well, he was, uh, he ended up, uh, he ended up, um, it, he, he got involved in a whole bunch of different, like, scammy things, but he ends up, I guess, killing a guy on a boat in Arizona and uh, he ends up on American Greed. But somebody needs to give these people a tour of Lake Mead before they join the company here in, in Las Vegas. They need um, to take them down to Lake Mead because that's where all the bodies are buried here in Vegas and they're finding them almost every, almost every week. They're finding another body of a mobster that's buried under the, under right. the lake, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> It's, well, uh, go, go, but, going back to your question, uh, you know, that's what I think. There is so much of these, um, you know, a guy like Tate is like the Kardashians. You know, he they, they, they become famous for being famous. They right. become social media influencers because they're a social media influencer. And if you can, if you know, like, you know, I could literally, I could be, I could get, 5 million views a week on Instagram. I know how to do that. I have the resources to do that. I can find it. You know, I can put a cat on a, a, one of those robot vacuum cleaners and go around and I can get a dog in front of me on the motorcycle looking like he's doing the handlebars. And I can get video of a dog on a surfboard and you can play these games. And then I can do the, you know, the outrage, political polarization game. I, I could do all of that. You could, right? you could get some, you could get some fake boobs and a fake butt and get a lot of that way too. <laughs> I could do that. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but at some point, you know, it, it, it's like if you could be one of those guys in your mastermind, right, who's making $30,000 a month and they're only 24 years old and they got 400,000 Instagram followers, or you could be some boring old master coordinator with Shackley who has 850 people in their team and does, you know, 20,000 a month in income. You want to be the Shackley person because they're going to be here 10 years from now. Right, right. 20 years from now. These Forex people, I mean, I, I mean, there's, you know, in the, the new book, which I call Direct Selling Success, that's the, the book I wrote to replace the one that you originally bought. To, to okay. reflect the new reality of the world today with social media and the new regulatory stuff and tech and how the business has changed. And I, I introduced the concept of the MLM zombies who just amble from deal to deal and they just, they're dead, but they haven't laid down yet. And they just keep getting top up deals and runway deals. And I know people <laughs> 
who have who are still doing that and i've seen some of them be in literally 12 or 13 deals in a single year it's get, crazy they get big pay yeah. pay you know money to join and they get i know some deals. of those people yeah yeah, yeah. um and if they're on Instagram and you're showing your ride in your private jet and your $500,000 watch and you're bling, bling this and you're bling, bling that, um, the, the, the market is so unsophisticated, the young male demographic who's alienated and scared and lonely and even made worse after the pandemic, right? And you're a young person in Peru, Ecuador, San Salvador, Costa Rica. I mean, if you make $1,500 a month in San Salvador, you live like a king. Mm -hmm. So when you see some guy on, uh, like this Reynoso guy, the guy who just got arrested, the narco trafficker, he's right. had a huge, huge following on social media, a couple million followers on Instagram. And that's all it was is these lavish mansion lifestyle and you're sitting in the, in the barrio of san salvador and you you know on your cheap uh apple counterfeit apple phone and you're able to get some broadband at the neighborhood bodega and you see the video of this guy it's like how could you not and and so that's where um the, the, the people in Latin America right now who are losing their homes, who are committing suicide, who are getting kidnapped, who are have their life destroyed by these scams. That's really why Jaime and I started DuplicationNation.com. That was our most thing. That, that existed in the 80s and 90s. It's just magnified times a thousand right now because it's so accessible. It's so easy for somebody to start a deal today. And also, of course, the, the cryptocurrency um, uh, component to it. But we used to see that. I mean, we, we used to, this right, is, But we didn't have social media that could right. amplify it by a hundred X, you know, and that's the difference right. today. If you're if yeah. you're savvy enough to game this, you know, because again, like if if I do those, you know, dogs on the surfboard and the cat on the Roomba and all the stuff, or I do the Trump versus Biden, you know, polarization, and I build up that following, and then I start introducing this stuff, it's just like it's like shooting fish in a barrel with a yeah. bazooka, right? And then you got. So somebody who has a team, somebody who's building a legitimate legacy network marketing company, um, and they've got, you know, a couple, they have a thousand people on their team or a couple thousand people on their team. And then some of that kind of drips over into the United States. It usually starts overseas. It starts in Dubai or in, in uh, one of the Latin countries, and then it, it spills over. So it's, it's happening in the U.S. It's really enticing for people that, people that are not educated on this stuff and that's really what your mission is, is to educate people on on the crypto scams and what's going on out there but uh it, how does somebody how do you think somebody can kind of like compete with that so their their team is growing and then all of a sudden some people on their team hear about this and then you know they lose a couple of their top leaders to this because they see all the money and they see the flash and the jets and the watches and the trips and all that and then and then they've got their company where, hey, you sell a product and you make 20 bucks a month. And they're over here going, you, I just made $2,000 in a day. Um, so how does, uh, how does somebody who's running a team, 
uh, it's a leader that's actually in the hunt, building a business. How do they in the U.S. compete with that? How do they handle that when that happens? Yeah, this is the the basis of a lot of my work right now is exactly this question you raised. And that's where this education has to come in. Because this was always true, right? If I can go three miles that way over to Liberty City, and if you're a kid growing up in Liberty City and you see the drug dealer makes $50,000 a week and your mom makes $211 a week, you say, why wouldn't I be a drug dealer? I'd be crazy to go work at Burger King, right? Or, hey, you know, this football player got a $5 million signing bonus. That could be me. I can just, so I don't have to go to school. I don't have to learn a skill. If I can just be a a footballer, right? We've got to to show people the real numbers. You know, if people knew the average length of an NFL player's career, legitimate length, Right. If they knew the percentage of them that are cut before they ever make any money, if they knew that when they when they hear that this guy signed a forty million dollar contract, what they don't hear is like three point five million dollars of that is guaranteed, and the other, right. you know, literally thirty seven million of a forty million dollar contract can be negated just like if he blows his knee out at right. Right, right, practice. Right. That's it. That 30, that's never coming. It's, you know what I mean? We have to educate people like that in our space. Like, okay, he, the guy who, the, the brother of the, the crypto queen, who's, you know, ups, you know, wandering around the world on her yacht as a fugitive right now. Right. He, he's in, in prison right now, waiting for his final um, sentence to be uh, de- to de- to be determined, he was making. They claim he was making twenty million dollars a month. Mm. Okay, twenty million dollars a month. Well, what the government is pushing for right now is a sixty-year prison sentence. Sixty years. So mm. we have to to show this twenty-three-year-old kid. Okay, really think about this. Would you be willing to make twenty million dollars a month? And think of all the sex and drugs and rock and roll you could buy every month with $20 million. But no, 11 months in, there's going to be a knock at your door. Judgment day. And you're going to then spend the next 60 years of your life and you're probably going to die in prison. That's That's the real education we have to get out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I have a go ahead. Well, here's the other thing I want to add to that is when you and I were making our hay, if somebody did join a bad deal, they got suckered in, they didn't know better, or they were just greedy and they thought they, you know, I've had people tell me, yeah, I know this is a pyramid thing, but I'm going to have a good run with it. And after that, I'll find something legitimate to do. But right now, if I could make a quick $2 million, I've literally had people tell me that, right? And what happens back then was the company got closed down and the owners went to jail and the distributors were fine. Right. That's no longer the case. The message we have to get out now is now the company gets closed down. 
the owners go to prison, but the top distributors get a visit from the FBI or the AG or whoever, and they say, okay, you have made uh, $4 million in an illegal pyramid. So this $4 million is all ill-gotten gains, and we want it back. So right. we want your house, we want your cars, we want your boat, we want your motorcycle, you know, if you and none of them have the money to give back because right. it's all stupid money to them. They've had no financial education. They spend more than they make. The, the, the person who made four million dollars in a pyramid probably spent five million dollars living because their mm-hmm. credit kept mm-hmm. increasing. Right. And then they say, and by the way. You claim this $1.5 million worth of tax violation uh, of tax deductions for the trips you went on and the overseas, wow. you know, the, and those were all invalid now. So we're assigning a judgment against them. And there's no way out of IRS judgments. Yeah, and so, and so if they didn't go to jail, if they didn't go to jail for being in the, a pyramid deal, they're going to go to jail for tax evasion or not being able to pay the taxes back or something else. Yeah. So that's that's the difference today that, you know, when these um, trading deals, you know, now the new thing is, well, we're not actually selling cryptocurrency. We're we're selling perfume. And when you buy ten thousand dollars worth of perfume, you get one hundred of our tokens. And the right. tokens are worth $1,000 each right now. And we think they're going to go to $50,000 each according because they're buying, you know, they set up, literally set up their own exchange. They set yeah. up their own website. It's, that, a, it's, it's, it's an all, FTX deal. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's fake money. It doesn't even, it's, fake it's not money, real. Yeah. 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 And so they, you know, it's, that's what, but you know, in the meantime, they're getting a statement every month. It's like Bernie Madoff. All those clients got a statement from him every month. And they're like, oh, my God, Bernie has saved my life. He's taken my $2 million. He's turned it into $18 million. He's the most brilliant financial planner the world has ever seen. Of course, I'm going to keep sending my dividends back and reinvesting them. And when you have guys who own the New York Mets who have to force to sell the, you know, if you own the New York fucking Mets and you lost so much money with Bernie Madoff, you have to sell the team. That tells you the level of which, and if you watch that HBO or Netflix documentary, we recommended that to our subscribers a while back. Jonak told me about it. So I watch it. It's like, the people who these are not sleazy people. These were honest, hardworking people. And yeah. they were recommended to Bernie Madoff by their friends. And they're, everybody was talking about it, but it was all just fake money. You know, I have a, a, a metaphor that I've used over the years. You may have heard me talk about it before. Um, that I, was a, I have a degree in landscape architecture. So I had to take a lot of botany courses and things like that. And I learned a lot about plants. Uh, in my, you know, in my uh, college days. <clears throat> and one thing I learned is that oak trees grow very slowly, but the wood on an oak tree is extremely solid. It grows slowly and they live forever. And then the eucalyptus tree, which a lot of contractors, because eucalyptus trees are cheap, they're inexpensive. You can buy them at a nursery for nothing. 
and they grow extremely fast and they'll turn a, a, a complex like an apartment complex or a condominium complex, they'll turn it green very quickly because they grow so fast. But right. the problem is that things in nature that grow fast die young. Uh, you think about the dog breeds, the, the, slow, the, 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 the Great Danes have the shortest lifespan because they grow the fastest. Uh, any dog that grows fast dies young. The big dogs die young. And, and that's how it is in life. And populations of insects that grow extremely fast, they're, they're around for two or three days and they're gone. Yeah. That's kind of how that's kind of how life is. And so when you plant a eucalyptus tree, grows really fast. The branches are extremely brittle. They break off in storms and end up in the pools. Uh, the root system gets into the plumbing. Uh, they're just very trashy, inexpensive, fast-growing, die-young trees. And then you've got the oak tree that grows slowly that has a very, a very well-anchored root system, not a, not a shallow, brittle root system. So it, it's anchored and it's very solid and stable. And that's kind of like when I when we're talking about this stuff, that's what I see. I see that these like Sam Bankman Freed, the guy became a billionaire in what, three years, something yeah. like that. Or three years, the guy became a, worth 30 billion dollars. That's like an, that's like a eucalyptus tree turned green real fast. But what happens is extremely brittle. Uh, it dies young. And so when you jump into a network marketing company that that is uh a startup that's growing extremely fast where it's all around the hype and the, the glitz and the glamour and the flash um, and the adrenaline and the, the, that, all that, the, the adrenaline rush. Those deals, look, at, look through our history, Randy, those deals are usually short-lived. They're, they're usually less than five years. Most of the time, they're less than a year. And then in today's world with the internet and anybody can start a company on a shoestring, heck, me and you today, could invent a coin. I think you might have even talked about this in one of your reports, one of your videos. We could invent a coin right now and give it an arbitrary value of two hundred dollars a coin, and tell everybody it's going to go to a thousand, and you got to buy, you got to buy a bunch of this. And before you know it, our our valuation is fifty million, a hundred million in a matter of days, uh, because people are pumping money into it. But it's fake, and it's going to die. It's all, I love that analogy. That's a really apt analogy. That's why I say you, you really would rather be that lifetime master coordinator with Shackley that has a few thousand people because those few, that, that 3,000 people in your Shackley group or your um, Manatech group or your Amway group or whatever, they have another 10 or 20,000 people who are actually buying product every month. Right reordering true residual income based on a product or service that's getting to an end consumer providing value. And it's not that's really about the money. It's about the, the money comes from the value delivered. And that's the message we have to get through to people. That's the litmus test, really. Is, is it a real product that people are going to want to buy anyway? Are they going to use it on a regular basis? And are they, it, it, as, soon as, it, it, as soon as it's not about a real product that people are actually getting value from other than my money's going up, um, that's, not, that's not real value because it could go the other direction as well. Um, but, but when somebody's actually consuming something and getting benefit from it, that is the cornerstone of a residual check that's going to pay you for years. If that's a litmus test for a legacy company. 
right? 100%. And you're the living, breathing example of this. So for people who don't know, you're in this company that has cards and mm-hmm. um, premiums. And I'll just say he's in, you know, you're in send out cards. And I remember when you came on the scene with that, I thought, ah, send out cards. I don't know if that's really going to work. Um, Service programs. At that point, nobody had ever done a service program. Now you've got utility warehouse and places that are killing it with utility, you know, with service programs. And so your thing then was the, the, the cards, these imprinted cards, which you have been sending to me for, 150 years i get these beautiful cards from you with you take a picture of me or me and you that you found from 15 years ago and you say hey i just came across this or whatever (laughs) and you hand write it and it gets handwritten on the thing and the company mails it out and then you can send brownies you still have that where like they can send brownies and yeah yeah, okay Yeah. yeah So, because Ivan Cisco used to send me brownies every year for my birthday. Right, and right, right. I know, I know he's going to be watching this show, and I'm just going to mention that he, Ivan. Ivan, Ivan hasn't sent me brownies in forever, and I have he not. He still forgotten. uses our system, but I don't know if he's sending brownies or not. Yeah. <laughs> well, he ain't sending them to me. He's actually going to be on one of these in a couple of All weeks. Right, It'll cool. be published after this one. Tell him I said hello. <laughs> I will. Um, but so I, I was like, I don't know how that's going to work. But here it is, 18 years later, you still have this base. You still have this true beach money, this residual income, because it's built on a product that's getting to the end consumer. And yeah. I so maybe talk about that business yeah. model a little, because it seems to me like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me like you have a much bigger retail customer component of maybe people who aren't really building, but it seems to me like you have a lot of real estate agents or insurance agents or professional people, dentists, doctors, lawyers, who they're not really building a business, but they love being able to send these cards to their client base. And if they're like a real estate agent, they 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 use it to generate business is that that's my view yeah. from the outside well it's uh, yes yes uh it's it, the, the truth is randy we would not be here today because we've had many times in our 18 years as all companies do where we've had huge dips in recruiting huge dips in technology we've had technology issues in the past and things that have that in in many companies if you did not have a customer base that was using your product consistently if we didn't have that, we would be gone. The, the reason we're here today is because we have thousands, actually hundreds of thousands of customers that use us every month. And to answer your question, it's all energy. It's the energy you're sending out every day. So like uh, a legal firm, for example, <clears throat> that has a client base, they're going to continually send cards to that client base, maybe a couple, three cards a year, just to stay top of mind. Especially in today's marketplace, it's so competitive. There's so many different places you can go. If you're not in front of somebody the moment that they're ready to do business with you, then you're going to lose that business. Uh, do you know the story of Joe Girard, the car salesman? I do remember the, you know, I know, I remember the broad outlines of it. Yeah. Yeah. So Joe Girard uh, was in the Guinness Book of World Records 12 years in a row as being the greatest salesman in the world. And he wrote a book called How to Sell Anything to Anyone. He passed away a couple of years ago in, in his 90s. But I read what Joe that did book. Is, I read yeah, that book. But, 
every single person that Joe met, Randy, if he had met you, you would receive a card from him saying nice to meet you, but you wouldn't just receive one card. You receive a card from him every single month for as long as he knew you. And so it got to the point, this was old school before technology existed. It got to the point where Joe was sending out so many cards, handwritten cards, just quick ones. Like, I like you, come in and see me, sign Joe, you know, quick cards. He was writing so many cards that he had to hire a team of people. He was doing over 10,000 cards per month to his client base and to people that he had met. But here's what would happen, Randy. When you were ready to buy a car, you liked Joe, you trusted Joe, and you would go see Joe. If you had to sell a car, you'd go see Joe. If you had a friend that needed a car, you'd say, you got to go see Joe. I like Joe. And so that's really the concept behind it. It's just sending out positive energy in a way that's going to get noticed, not just a text message, not just an email that ends up in spam, but something that's going to really be meaningful. So that's really where the value is. And yeah, there's cool things you can do, like grab pictures from social media, drop them on a card, let people know you're thinking about them, add a gift, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and that's, that's so it's, it's about acting on those promptings, those inner promptings to reach out to somebody in a way that's going to be meaningful. And so that's what we do. And we've sent out 300 million cards in the last 18 years. And people, you know, it's crazy. Someone, I run into people that I haven't seen in, in literally 12 years that yeah. are like, yeah, I use your service every day. You know, people yeah. that I don't even re hardly remember, you know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. And then when we go to corporate and go to corporate headquarters, it's like, it's like Willy Wonka. That's Willy Wonka right there. Uh, it's like Willy Wonka uh, and the chocolate factory. I mean, we've got multi-million dollar printers and, and UV coders and cutters and robots that stuff the cards into the envelopes. We're doing, a, you know, 50 to 100,000 cards a day. And, wow. and wow. so it's like, a, it's like a factory that's, uh, that's printing cards and stuffing envelopes. And and uh, when you it's go there, like you see, it is, <laughs> it's a <yeah>. factory. <laughs> when you when you go into the factory and see this, um, it's uh, and it's a temperature humidity controlled room. It's a big room, like forty thousand square feet, with just all kinds of crazy stuff going on. It's amazing what it takes to get a card in an envelope printed, and every product that goes out the door is unique. Every single product that goes out is unique, and it's a you know a one dollar product. And, um, it, but when you go there and see it and actually experience it and smell the ink on the paper and the feel the humidity in the air of this, in the sound of the machines running in the yeah. room, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's quite a, it's quite amazing. Just the, uh, the energy, the positive energy that's created from all that. So that's really why we're here. Truthfully, I would not be here with this company 18 years later if it, if it wasn't for a regular customer base that continued yeah. to pay me a residual check. We wouldn't be here as a company because we wouldn't have a revenue stream. Right. You got to make sure that your company produces a revenue stream, even if recruiting goes flat, because it's going to at some point. Always. Recruiting yeah. will always have peaks and valleys. Customers are a given. They're constant. By the way, yeah. people need to see the episode, the chopping it up I did with Wes Linden, we talked about, you know, because he remembered the story that I told when I opened up uh, network marketing in Slovenia and Croatia. And so I told the story of the lady who won the first bonus card based on something I said about sending out cards and notes. And wow. Wes, I'll Wes has, back and watch it. Oh, yeah. Wes adopted it. He's done so well with it. 
And I thought this just came yesterday. And I thought this is so cool because I'm talking to Jordan tomorrow. This is not a send out card. This is no, a, a home. It is a hallmark. But what a cool th- this was sent to me by Danny Sparkles, who's just somebody who's been to some of my seminars and worked with some of my coaching programs, whatever. She still stays in touch. And this is a this is a, a cloth shirt wow. that is on this card with, you know, the Superman. Yeah, a, a real like shirt. And I thought, what a cl- clever idea. But she's a perfect example just, you know, of this principle that you're talking about is just keeping yourself top in mind with people, developing that relationship. Um, and you've just, like I say, you do it masterfully. I, I mean, I just have Thank so you. many cards from you over the years. You know, there's one thing that I noticed and learned from you, Randy, that I think has had a big impact on my life and my career. And that is you're a storyteller. You tell a lot of stories. Like every, every message you convey, there's a story behind it. And I do that too. And a lot of that, I think, comes from, you know, being around you long before I signed up my first distributor. You and John Milton Fogg um, and, you know, Tom Schreider uh, used to do, yeah. you know, he's still, he's a great storyteller. But there's a, that's, that's a really powerful, it's, it's a magnifier. Telling stories is a magnifier. And I wouldn't say it's just a double it or triple it magnifier. It's a thousand times magnifier. When you can take a message that you want to convey and share it in a story, and you're, you're, you're really, really good at that. And, and I, I try. And I feel like sometimes I'm really good at it. Sometimes I'm not. But most of the time, I was literally, uh, Jaime and I have this high, high, high level coaching program called the Prodigy Council. And yesterday mm-hmm. was our meeting with the council. And the topic of that I was elucidating on yesterday was storytelling. Storytelling. And the power of storytelling and every company that I consult with, I'm like, okay, what is the founding story of this company? It can't be that Jim was sitting in a bar with Joe and he said, you know what we should do? We should start an MLM company, which is how 90% of them start. Right. 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 What is the, what is the problem that Jim was laying awake at 3 a.m. one night and said, God, if only I had a solution for this. And then he had this idea for a product. And then he, you know, that's the founding story. Like, because it's always going to be somebody sees your presentation on Tuesday night. What is the water cooler conversation when they go to work on Wednesday? And they say, I was at this presentation last night and there was this lady there and she lost, you know, 47 pounds in two and a half weeks drinking this milkshake that tastes like cake, you know, and it's, it's a story or like literally, you know, when, when I joined agile, I was the one who said, you know what this is, this is suspension gel technology. Mm. And I wrote Did you come the, up with that phrase. Yes. And I wrote the CEO an email and I said, listen, go trademark this term, suspension gel technology. And we built hundreds of millions of dollars on that story. You know, another company I work with, it was about creating the story 
of the, you know, the ingredients from the Amazon and how the Amazon is the heart and the lungs of the planet and the analogy with the human body and the, the nutrients, right? You've got to have a founding start and you got to have a product story. And I think why I got that so good at that is because um, I got to meet the legendary Bill Gold who was the oh, first president yeah. of the National Speakers Association. Wait, wait, did you say Bill Gould? No, not Gould, Bill oh, Gold. Okay, Bill Gould. Gould is a whole different character. Okay, <laughs> so this was Bill Gold, but Gould yeah. is another storyteller. He was a Think storyteller. of those, those scripts, oh, yeah. that, you know, those skits he would do at his thing. I mean, he's, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he's off the chain, that guy. Um, so Bill Gove, Bill Gove. Um, at that time, G-O-V-E, Bill Gove, if anyone Gove, Googles okay. him, find him on YouTube, catch it, he he's just was one of the greatest speakers in the world. And um, so he lived here in Florida. So he was in the chapter of the Florida Speakers Association when I joined in 1991. And I said, I'm going to be a trainer and I need to see what this speaking stuff is all about. And he just fell in love with me. I don't have any idea why he just kind of adopted me. And he was like the father I never had. And he taught me, tell a story, make a point. And because they will, yeah. remember, the, because they will remember the story, they will remember, they will remember the, the point. point. Because he, he'd say, Randy, you know, I talk to someone after they come out, like we'd be at the, the NSA, the National Speakers Association Convention. You say, talk to someone and they come out of a breakout room. Hey, how was that session? Oh my God, it was amazing. Oh really, what was it? Yeah, it was the 27 secrets of success. Wow, cool. What were they? <laughs> uh, um, they don't know. Yeah. Let me check my notes. But he says, if you tell, like he had a story, the big red bus story, right? So he would tell this story and there was a point to the red bus story. And 15 years later, he'd be walking through the airport and somebody would say, oh, Bill Gove, I was there in 1969 when you told the big red bus story, you know? It, yeah. That's where you know, storytelling comes in. So, Randy, I, I uh, joined as a, I, I don't remember what it was called, but it wasn't a member. I didn't have the money to be a, in the National Speakers Association when I was in my early 20s. But I used to go to their events. I met Cavett Robert. Great. Am I saying his name? Kevin Roberts or Yes. Robert? Yes. Yeah. He was the founder, and, founder of NSA. When, a dear, when did just you get, a true gentleman. So you knew him? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I don't know if I ever came across paths with you back then, but were you involved in the mid-80s in the National Speakers Association? No, I never joined no. until 91. Okay. That's when yeah, I, so, when I that, started being a speaker was 1991. Yeah, but you know, as you were talking, um, and I, I mentioned this to you, were you aware of my helicopter crash when uh, before I sent that to you? Well, no, I wasn't. But I will tell you, you know, for people who don't know, we each put four or five points we want to talk to the other one about. Yeah. And number two on the list is helicopter. You have yeah. to share that story. Well, you know, like one of the things that I tell people in telling a story is the importance of, and you know, there's there's like eight or nine or 10 things that you can include in a story to make it something that will be, that will leave an impact that's memorable. And one of those is drama. Um, and, and so one thing that, so 
I'll try to make, it's a long story, but I'll try and briefen it up a little bit. It is, I, I became a helicopter pilot about eight years ago, which in and of itself, guys don't walk into a helicopter training company at school and say, in their 50s, saying, I want to be a helicopter pilot. It's, it's guys in their 20s. So when I went in there and I, I, you know, I'm, I was obviously at that point, I was 57 years old. They kind of snickered a little bit, um, but I did. It took me two years. I got my helicopter pilot's license. And the reason is because I'd sit up here in my condo and watch these helicopters giving tours and think to myself, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be cool that when my friends came into town that I could say, hey, let's jump in the helicopter. I'll give you a ride around Vegas from the sky. And they'd be <laughs> like, yeah, that sounds great. So I've probably given rides to. I don't know, maybe a couple hundred people that had never been in helicopters before. I'm not a commercial pilot. I'm not allowed to charge. So I don't, I don't get paid to fly helicopters. It's just a mm-hmm. hobby. I decided I wanted a helicopter and there's this iconic helicopter called the Bell 47. It's the, the helicopter. Yeah. It's the helicopter that has more stories than any other helicopter in history. Uh, first helicopter to carry a president, first helicopter to land on the White House lawn, first helicopter to be in a movie. First helicopter to be tra- used for training in the military. It also um, is the helicopter that Elvis Presley took and Margaret up in Viva Las Vegas. Uh, it's the Batcopter in Batman and Robin. Isn't Marine One the uh, presidential copter, a Bell copter? It, it might be, but this is an older version. This is the Bell 47, right? But it might be, it's very possible that Marine, yes, Marine One, I think, is a Bell the bell helicopter so this is the one that has the bubble and this is what i wanted well it's a it's the helicopters you know there aren't that many of them that are faa uh, compliant so it took me i hired a broker it took me a, a good uh year to find the helicopter i had to have it disassembled and inspected and shipped across the country and reassembled and all that it cost me about 25 grand just to buy the helicopter to buy the helicopter it was three quarters of a million dollars to get the helicopter from where it was in the swamps of Louisiana and put back together and ready to fly, it was about 25 grand. To get it ready to fly, plus I had to go down to San Antonio, Texas and get trained on this helicopter. I went down five times on this particular helicopter. Soloed in it one time, just one time. This was six months after I bought it. I finally soloed in my helicopter and it was, it was a dream come true. I had met a guy six months prior that was introduced to me by a friend that was supposedly a commercial pilot, he had been flying for 20 years, flew every week in an A-star, which is a much bigger helicopter than what I fly. He had a maintenance facility with mechanics that worked for him, and he owned a bunch of helicopters and talked the talk, and we got to See, know each this, other. We, this is the story that I just had to have on this, yeah. this show, because so where you're yeah, going yeah. next is just... <laughs> Uh, you have no well, idea. Continue, Man, please. You have, you have no idea. So we <laughs> smoked some cigars together. We we um, had lunch a number of times, uh, hung out with the guy, went down to the hangar a few times. He talked to all the other pilots and the you know maintenance guys at the hangar. And one day it was 108 degrees uh, on a uh, in June uh, of 2019. Um, and I, I said, you want to go for a flight in my helicopter? And he said, yes. And so we go out to the airport. We pushed the helicopter out to the big H that's sitting on the tarmac there with, it's got a wall behind it and a parking lot over here. And there's a big fuel, there's a 150 gallon fuel tank parked over to our left and a fuel cart that's attached to a little, you know, golf cart type thing. And we, we pulled the doors off the helicopter because it was so hot. 
and get in there, start it up. It's got dual controls. And I lift the helicopter up off the ground. So we're, we're, we got our headsets on, we're hovering, sitting side by side uh, in this area. And I said to him, because he had, he had 10 times as many hours as I do. I said, do you want the controls? Because I wanted him to feel the helicopter. He said, yes. So I said, you have the controls. He says, I have the controls. Within a quarter second, Randy, I saw the sky. The helicopter tipped up and the tail flipped around within a quarter second. I mean, he was like completely out of control within a quarter second. I knew that in, when you read accident reports, um, people that, whose main rotor hits something while they're in the air, it doesn't matter if you're eight feet off the ground or if your main rotor hits something, you're dead. Like everybody dies because the helicopter explodes into a million pieces. Well, I knew my main rotor was going to either hit the ground or the wall behind us. I knew it. And I'm, I literally in that moment said, this is it. I mean, I remember thinking to myself, and the next thing I know, uh, 10 seconds later, it's raining fuel, like my, my fuel tanks, it's raining fuel. My face is sitting in fuel on the ground. My left shoulder is getting burned. And I hear people going, get the fuck out, get the fuck out. And they're pulling, they're pulling us out. And, uh, the guy's gone. Like I'm standing next to the helicopter, literally wondering if I'm still alive because the helicopter is unrecognizable. Right. Right. And I'm standing next to it. And it's, a, it's the fire departments there and the air and the news choppers are overhead and the ambulances and the FAA's there and the NTSB's there wanting to interview me and all this. And they want to talk to him and he's gone, gone, like vaporized. <laughs> And so for the next few weeks, they're trying to get a hold of him and I'm texting him and he's texting me back. I never talked to him since then. He said he has, he says he has everything. He has his log books, his medical certificate, all this. And they, he kept avoiding the FAA. And then five weeks later, they got him in. And while he was in the office, he lied to him for 15 minutes saying he's a pilot. He's, he's licensed. He's been flying for 20 years. They said, he, they called me and they said, Jordan, how well do you know this guy? And I told him the story. And they said to me, Jordan, he's never flown a helicopter in his life. He's never been trained as a helicopter pilot. We have zero records of him anywhere in the FAA computer. <laughs> and so he nearly killed me, destroyed my helicopter, cost me a quarter million bucks out of pocket. Um, and uh, one week before the pandemic, they told me they were going to arrest him. They did a full investigation that lasted a year. One week before the pandemic, they were, said they were going to arrest him. And then the pandemic hit and everything got shut down. And he like home free so that's and he has nothing the guy doesn't even own a car he doesn't own anything he doesn't he's, he does not have helicopters he's never flown in his life it's, so but here's the point here's the point of the whole story now you'll remember that story you'll tell that story to a lot of people randy you'll remember it lots of people that are watching this they'll remember the story and the point is and this is when it gets really when the rubber hits the road you've been there i've been there multiple times multiple times and when you're in it you it's 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 easy when you're not in it it's easy to say yeah i get it but when you're in it it's hard so here's what happened i my dream was to fly helicopters for many 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 years and i, I finally lived my dream and i had a, I, I i had a fork in the road i could either let my fear control me or let my dream control me and i chose to let my dream control me and, and move towards my dreams again as scary as it was, and as difficult as it was, I chose to get back up into the helicopter after four months. And I went with an instructor. I did everything. I flew perfectly. Everything was great. And I've flown at least 50, 60 times since then. I just had my biannual flight review last week. 
And uh, I have some friends that I'm taking up in about a week. Um, but, you know, it's like when you're faced with things that shut you down in your business and in your life, I mean, I, we all have those. And you have to make a decision if you want your dream. You have to make a, a, a decision that, like, what are you going to do with that? I learned some things. I learned one thing is that, you know, God wasn't done with me. I knew that. Yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah. I had angels. I had angels looking over me that day. Uh, I don't know why they why they scared him. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just like, oh, by the way, here's another thing. When you see the, there's actually, I'll, I'll share this with everyone if you if you want to do this. If you go on YouTube, got a couple hundred thousand views. If you go on YouTube and 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 put in fake helicopter pilot crashes helicopter, uh. fake helicopter pilot crashes helicopter, you can see a video of the crash because they had surveillance at the airport. So they oh, wow. recorded the whole crash, wow. the whole hover, everything. You'll see the crash. You'll also read my accident report that I wrote that I gave to the FAA. It's typed. You'll also see his handwritten accident report. And you'll see the FAA investigation. It's all on that YouTube video about an hour long goes through everything so it's fake helicopter pilot crashes helicopter now here's the thing one of the components of a good story is drama another component of a good story is stimulating the senses like in some of the things i talked about the fuel raining down well yeah, that's yeah. what actually happened i could smell the fuel i felt you know i felt the heat of the pavement on my face all these kinds of things are things that make there's there's actually a bunch of things that make story powerful and memorable, but those are a few of the things. Amazing! Yeah. What a story! All right, so since we're telling Jordan Adler transportation stories, I have to ask, what happened? Because I know you bought a Fisker, which was one yeah. of those first EVs, and they were you couldn't get any parts or service what whatever happened with that are they still so check, around so check this out there's no the, the they the fisker was built in 2012 and they went out of business their first year so they they weren't around they just built one year they built a thousand of them 500 of them are broken down because there's no parts or they can't be fixed and there's still 500 of them running and I've got one of the 500 that are still running. I've only got 6,000 miles on it. It's uh, so it's 12 years old. What is it? What uh, 13 years, 11 years old, 12 years old, and uh, it's got 6,000 miles on it. And um, I've had to ship it to Pasadena twice. Um, for there's a guy in Pasadena that will work on him. The shipping is more expensive than the actual repairs typically. Right, right. But I've taken a chance. I've got it. I've got it downstairs, and I I drive it you know, once or twice a month, usually just up and down the strip. Um, and uh, it could be a tucker someday, or it might be uh, in the junkyard, who knows. But um, so I didn't yeah, know, so they, I, still have I thought it. they were like, maybe reorganizing or what I didn't know, they just went out of business yeah. after a well, year. Fisker, the guy that built that car started a new company called Fisker. And the new company doesn't work on the old cars. The new company has a new Fisker that's a better technology that actually looks exactly like the original Fisker. My car looks brand new. It smells new. I mean, I keep it really, really nice and I drive it periodically, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's a risk. 
because if it breaks and there's no parts, I've got right. one part that one part that broke that that it's a, a brake sensor that that it can't be fixed, can't be replaced. So my not brake sensor, tire pressure sensor. So the tire pressure light is on and there's Those no way to turn it off. Those tire pressure sensors are the first thing to glitch on every car. My Challenger, it's a nightmare. My lane, uh, a Range Rover, still, it's a nightmare. You still drive Vipers? No, I am now at the officially old enough age where I say, no, I'm not climbing down into a car that is four inches off the road. It's just too much yeah. on my back. Now it's all about the, I have this evoke special edition range rover that was designed by gloria beckham for land rover there was only a hundred made only three came to the u.s wow. and it's luxury yeah <laughs> or about i mean and it's nice because it's got some pep and i still have the like the challenger i have the the uh shaker edition so that's like my sunday softball driver because you've always you've always been into cars Always. Yeah. But yeah, now it's just, yeah. you know, I'm at a stage in my life where the luxury is a little more priority than the gotcha. speed. <laughs> yeah. So is your daily driver, the, is it a Range Rover? Did you say? Yeah. 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 My daily driver is an FJ Toyota FJ. I don't know FJ. I don't know what that, I know. The Toyota FJ, they stopped making them in 2014. I had a 2008 that I put over a hundred thousand miles on. Then I had a 2010 that I put over a hundred thousand miles on. And now I'm 2014, which is the last year they made them. And I love that car. It's so great. Yeah. See my Range Rover is the year they did. It was like 2013 or 2015 or something, but yeah. I don't even have 30,000 miles on it. Cause you know, well, I, I drive had cars I drive here, I had cars in San Diego, yeah. different cars, different, and I didn't drive, you know, so it's literally like showroom new, um, but it's, it's the worst, it's the worst uh, maintenance nightmare. Cause what, if you need anything, it's $2,000. You need an oil yeah. change. It's $2,000. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, there's right. a little, you know, trouble light to, and it's frequently $4,000. So, <laughs> I had a I had a Maserati Quattroport, and I okay. think it was the, I, it was I think it was a 2003. I had it wrapped in black mats, and I took it in, and they told me the water pump was uh, out, and because I was having a problem overheating, the water pump was out. They had to replace the water pump. Guess how much? You can't shock 16, me. Sixteen thousand. Now let me tell you why. In the Let's, in the quadruport, they have to remove the move, engine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, get, to get to the water pump, they have to remove the engine from the car, replace the water pump, and then put the engine back into the car. It's just so it, it's just insane. Uh, you know, the yeah. battery died on the 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 Range Rover, and um, the battery was sixteen hundred dollars. I'm like, yeah. No, I, I'm pretty sure. The best battery in the world, here's <laughs> Die Hard, and it's $200. So I'm going to get a Sears Die Hard, and I'm going to have it delivered to you. And they're like, oh, no, 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 you can't. There's no. special wiring with this battery. It has to be the factory battery, $1,600. So literally, it's, you know, so at some the point, price. I'm just going to say, even though it's new, there's low mileage, 
the maintenance cost is so stupid that I just say, you know, Randy, the price we pay for success, you know, (laughs) (laughs) right. We're here crying and whining about it. And there's people who want to kill us right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Speaking of success, um, talk about beach money. So beach money is your book, but it's really a lifestyle. So would you just talk about what that means to you a little, please? Yeah, it's simple. There's nothing super profound about it because it's something that I think everyone dreams of at some point, but most people give up on. And that is the the idea. Most people give up before they even start, right? The idea of being able to live life on your terms, live wherever you want to live uh, and, and be able to make do the things that you want to do with your life that are going to be good for you, for your family, for the people around you and for the world. And that comes, that, that can be uh, partially delivered through a passive residual income stream, wherever you get that from. There's lots of different ways you can create it. You can create it by buying, buying vending machines. You can own multiple subway franchises. You could, uh, you could, uh, invest in uh, a business that throws off a dividend or a royalty. Um, there's lots of different ways you can do it. Or you can start a network marketing company. And, and when I started, I didn't have the capital resources. Uh, I wouldn't even have known how to get capital resources if I needed to. I grew up in a lower middle income family in the south suburbs of Chicago. My, the, my high school that I went to got shut down for gang violence a number of years later. Uh, it's not a super nice area. It's an, it's an okay area, but the home I grew up in was a, uh, my dad bought it for $6,600 and, uh, I sold it when he passed away in his eighties for $10,000, the home I grew up in, in Park Forest, Illinois. And so I didn't have a model of success. I didn't, I wasn't around entrepreneurs, but when I read Don Fela's book, um, the 10 napkin presentations, which is out of print, but they, he's rewritten it a number of times. Um, I learned about residual income and I learned about leverage. And then I started reading and listening to people like Randy Gage and Richard Brooke and John Milton Fogg and others. And I began to dream about what it would be like to have a passive residual income stream, income that flowed into my bank account every month, whether I went to work or not. I liked that idea long before I had it. I thought that would be to be able to fly flying meaning like not necessarily literally flying but to be able to fly in your life to be able to have the freedom to go where you want to go um my life has always been a metaphor of flying and so when i when i learned about residual income it's like these this is what's going to provide the lift is residual income so i started aligning myself with businesses and ideas that would produce residual income and it took me 10 years 11 different network marketing companies, but I finally cracked the code and uh, figured out how to get a new distributor signed up and get them launched and how to get some customers and how to provide a runway for people to build a successful business. And in doing that, my checks kept going up. And at some point I was able to make choices and decisions. Now the the profits from my book, 100%, I don't know if you know this, Randy, but 100% of the profits from my book, Beach Money, fund a nonprofit called Kiva. Are you familiar I with do, Kiva? I do, I do know that. And I actually had that as one of the things because oh. I, that's one of my favorite charities as well. Explain oh, what it is. 
Yeah, so Kiva is a micro-lending organization, probably the largest in the world, uh, started by a, a woman named Jessica Jackley and her husband uh, many, many years ago, probably 20 years ago. And they provide loans to entrepreneurs in developing countries all over the world, literally in every country in the world. So somebody wants to have a farm stand in a small town, a small village outside of uh, Madrid, Spain, or you know, Colombia or wherever, somebody wants to start a shoe repair shop and they need $100 or $200 or $500, they can uh, get the money through the contributions from my book and others. And we've helped literally tens of thousands of companies start all over the world in developing countries as a result of this book. Um, hundreds of thousands of dollars in uh, loan money have been provided. And once the money's in there, you can't pull it out. It's not in there to to get a return, you don't, there's no interest on it. You just loan the money. <clears throat> the entrepreneurs put their stories on the website and there's field partners. And so you can go on kiva.org and you can see the entrepreneurs all over the world. You can say, I want to loan $25 to this entrepreneur on their way to $200. Or I want to loan, I want to uh, fund this entire loan for $500. And then you can actually get progress reports on the website of what and you get emails as well of what they did with the money and how it was used. And then they pay the money back. And sometimes they want another loan for something else, but they pay the money back and then you can reloan it out to another project. So some of my money has been recycled many times into different projects. So my assistant, uh, Carrie, uh, every week she goes on the website and she's taking the money that's getting paid back and loaning it out to new entrepreneurs that are starting businesses. So I wanted to take the revenue from, this is a dream, right? This is for a lot of people, having residual income is a dream and this helps people to create that. But I thought, what wouldn't it be cool to take the money from the sale of this book and fund many dreams from the sale of this book? So that's what we've done. And it's been yeah, great. And the, the thing with Kiva is sometimes $25 isn't part of their loan. That's the whole loan. There are people right. that they need $25 and they can buy six chickens and then make the money from the eggs or, you know, or they yeah. buy two goats and they breed the goats and they sell the milk. I mean, ridiculously low amount of money can have such a profound difference. And like you say, it's that's my, what I love about it because I'm all about free enterprise. And, you know, we've created this entitlement mentality in the world where everybody just says, hey, I need it. You have it. You should give it to me. And yeah. that is not how to liberate people. That's not how to create prosperity. Prosperity comes from adding value. And so these micro loans are just amazing. $25, $75, $100. And like you said, they pay it back and then you just pick a new project to project. lend it out to and you just keep yeah. and that money so you might put a hundred so remember what he said guys listening kiva.org you could put in a hundred dollars now and 10 years from now you might have reloaned that hundred dollars out 57 times i mean it's amazing right. yeah it's amazing and and 93 of all the loan money gets paid back which is really interesting yeah 93 I want to share one more thing about the book um, that that really excites me more than anything. You know, I, I believe that the reason most people don't make it 
in network marketing is they don't believe it's pop really truly deep down they don't believe it's possible and if they believe it's possible they don't believe it's possible for them it's yeah. like orville and wilbur wright and the airplane um long before people were flying orville and wilbur they were two of the guys there were apparently a couple other guys but these two guys orville and wilbur they believed it was possible to fly so they risked worldwide ridicule and death because they believed it and today we walk on air you know we walk on 747s to fly overseas and we don't think anything of it we complain if the air conditioner isn't you know uh cold enough or whatever right or if our seat I, doesn't recline far enough i flew the concord at mach yeah. 2.2 wow walking to the bathroom people are shipping sh- sipping champagne, champagne eating chocolate colored strawberries at mach 2.2 i'm walking and and we just take this for yeah. granted like <laughs> sure but 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 so these guys they believed it was possible so they were willing to do the work so here's what happens when people read my book this is what they get from it i can do this when they're done reading my book they go i can do this and and there's enough stories in here that are implanted into their brain that they stick with it long enough to make something good happen in their life so that's really what it is i think that's a big part of it is jumping through the hoops and walking over the broken glass to be able to to get on the other side of it so that but the only way you get there is if you keep believing because as soon as you lose your belief and you start doubting it's over game over yeah 100% so listen i got to talk about sir richard branson yeah because he was like the original gary v or the original yeah. elon musk or the original whoever meaning an entrepreneur who was proud of being an entrepreneur became an incredible pr machine um sure is. built this billion you know became a billionaire um so and his book the original edition i read losing my virginity was one of mm. the best classic you know personal development for entrepreneur inspirational books you could ever get yeah um so he went from virgin records to virgin cola and virgin airlines was his you know big thing and of course i'm a frequent you know 7 million frequent flyer miles at at current just from the ones i've actually that have programs i've flown many more than that um <clears throat> richard has never made money with an airline. Every airline he has ever done has been a hot mess. He yeah. did Virgin Atlantic and Virgin Australia and Virgin this and Virgin US and he you know he would sell 57% to Delta or 43% to Delta they would put 400 million into it they'd lose their shirt they'd sell it for a 200 million loss. He's left this bod- these dead bodies everywhere uh, in the airline business. And I always say, how the fuck does he make it? Where does he make his money? Because he's certainly not in Virgin Record he's- stores anymore. And But I do know he was one of the guys who invested in the Ring Doorbell, which became a unicorn. That was, right. I believe that's the, the biggest um miss on shark tank that was you know the guy pitched it on shark yeah, tank. yeah 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 all yeah. the sharks turned him down but branson went in and with in. other people and became a billion so 
but he's uh, he's still intriguing to me. He's the most fascinating entrepreneur promoter, how to really get publicity. He does a lot of charitable work. And yeah. I just like the guy. So yeah, I know you signed up long, long time ago. You signed up for Virgin Galactic to yeah. go to space. And yeah. you get to spend time with him. So yeah. what is the deal with... So two two things I want to know from you. You know, what's the yeah. what's the real deal with Richard? And how are you? Do you think this space trip is actually going to happen? Well, I was there. There's so much to unpack with what the question you asked, Randy. There's so much to talk about. You know, I was I was actually there when he went to space. So I was I, I watched him get into the mothership and I watched or get into the spaceship that was attached to the mothership and I watched him go up and I watched the, the module come down and the rocket fire and I watched him the trail of the rocket ship going to space and then I was with him after he landed back safely on earth and uh, had a little party for his virgin team I was right up front with him um, he was he had a hundred media companies there so he was doing interview after interview after interview and so I got to say hi to him but that was it at that event but I did get an invitation to go to Necker Island and spend a week with him on Necker Island, which is the island that he bought that was for sale for $6 million that he bought for $125,000. He bought the island for 125,000. It was for sale for 6 million. And today it's probably worth, the island's probably worth a couple hundred million bucks or more. I don't know, he's built a lot of stuff on it. But, but Richard is intriguing. He's, first of all, he's, he's very down to earth. He's very present when he talks to you. He's very out of the box. He's an out-of-the-box thinker, obviously. What's interesting is he built, during the before the pandemic, he built four $2.2 billion cruise ships. Four oh. $2.2 billion cruise ships. Oh, now, that's right. I had forgot all about that yeah. before the so they're pandemic. Still, they're, still losing, they're still losing a million dollars a day on that. Now, 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 listen to this. I think on one ship, they lose a million dollars a day. If the two of us, Randy decided we're going to start a cruise line and we built a two we built one 2.2 billion dollar cruise ship that was, and we had 1500 employees on that cruise ship and they all loved us that would be a win just that yeah. he's got four of those and that's one of 300 companies that he owns so he's got he runs and owns 300 companies 300. the cruise ship company is 300 the cruise ship company is one of those um and when I was on there, I was on the cruise ship with him on his birthday party, with his family, with his staff from many of the different companies, a lot of his executives and some friends. And he just hung out with everybody for, for a full week, just hung out with everybody on the ship. You could sit down with them at any point, have a conversation. I had a few conversations with him while I was on the ship. The employees adore him, all of them. They adore him. They talk positively behind his back about him. Uh, they light up when they see him. It's it's incredible. Um, he was, you know, whether you like him or you hate him, Grant Cardone talks about money attracts attention and attention attracts money. Grant yeah. Cardone says that. Yeah. And Richard Branson is masterful. You, you mentioned this. He's masterful at promoting. Yeah. He likes to do stunts that, everybody says this is not even possible yeah. and then like flying a balloon across the ocean you know yeah. and he risks his life he's risked his life many times and beat the odds 
over and over and over again. His wife is hilarious. She's because she just knows this is just how Richard is. Even at his, even at the age of 73, he just does things that other people would say, that's a stupid idea. You're going to die. You're going to die. And he does it, you know, but it gets immediate attention. And the truth is, I think he, he's a great example of being willing to fail in a big way. He just does so many things that a few of his wins pay for his losses and then some. Because a lot of his companies fail. You know, uh, yeah, because um, what made me think of this is he took part of Virgin Galactic and he formed a new company out of it called Virgin Orbit. And that was the division because he doesn't want to launch the rockets from the ground. He wants to, he takes them up on a plane and then he launches them off the, you know, they release the rocket, it fuels up and it takes off in, in midair. He just basically that company's bankrupt now, closed closed down. down, everybody's out of work. So that that was a great idea. He talked about that with a lot of passion when we were there. Uh, the idea was to mount a satellite on a, where one of the engines would be on a 747 and then fly the 747 up to 50,000 feet, drop the satellite with a rocket on it, and fire it up into space where he could, if the Russians, for example, knocked down one of our satellites or North Korea, he could have a satellite back in space within one day to replace the satellite that got knocked right, down. Right. That was the, that was, and he had a lot of government funding, but he needed a $121 million loan. Apparently this is what the story is. And they couldn't get the loan. So they had to shut everything down, let all employees go. But that was, and that concerned me because it's a sister company to Virgin Galactic. And the stock tanked again. I mean, the stock is already in the toilet, but it tanked even lower to like three bucks a share. It was as high as $60 a share. And that's the Virgin Galactic Company. But they're saying that we're still supposed to, at the end of this year, we're going to commence the daily scheduled civilian space travel at the end of this year. And from, a, from a time, the time they start the program, I'll probably be about two years after that. So about two years after the time they start the program. When you bought it originally, because this was a long time ago, I remember Six you years. buying. Yeah, I thought it was Six even years. more. When were you scheduled to go up? Is this the well, there was original no, there date, was no, or did it get yeah. moved back? No, they never gave us a date, but they said it would probably be within two to three years. I mean, there's been people that have been in the program for ten years that still haven't gone. Guys that signed up in their seventies that are now in their eighties. And and but the money we can get our money back. Like I could request my money back right now, minus 10%. It's been an escrow at Bank of America. So if I wanted to pull out of the program, I could, but one of my dreams is to go to space. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to hang in there and see Good. what happens. Yeah. Uh, and I can't tell you uh, for your sake and for Richard's sake, I can't tell you how much I hope that happens. Really. Thank you. Thank you. That would yeah. be, because that's one it of my is- dreams to go to space too. It's his legacy. You know, he wants to leave a legacy of daily scheduled civilian orbital space travel. Yeah. All right. Cool thing. How about you? You got a quarter million. You got a, you got a quarter million bucks sitting in an account. Want to go to space? Um, I will go to space. I just don't think it would be with Richard's company <laughs> because of his airline experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, and I don't know, since I know you in the helicopters, I, I might be afraid to ever get on a plane <laughs> with you. <laughs> right. Hey, um, I wasn't holding the control. I have proof. 
All right. I know you have another thing you've got to get to. We definitely have to do this again, a volume two or volume three or volume 10. Uh, any just final thoughts, last thing, whatever you want to say? No, I guess I, the, the only, the, the only people. thing I would, first of all, thank, first of all, thank you. I really enjoyed this. I lost a little sleep last night going, what are Randy and I going to talk about for two hours? Like we, we haven't had a conversation that's lasted five minutes in the past <laughs> 20 years, right? <laughs> We've never had a conversation that's lasted more than five minutes. And so I wondered, but uh, the only thing I got to say is that, cause I know there's a lot of people watching this. Um, you know, Randy, you're in your 60s. I'm in my 60s and we're still here. And, uh, and uh, there's no matter where you are, no matter where you are in your business, um, if you can just hold on to hold on to the hope that and the and the dream, just don't let go of the dream. Don't let your fears control you. Um, and there's so many lessons from so many great entrepreneurs out there that uh, as long as you just stay the course and don't quit on a bad day, you can make it. So, yeah, that's what I'll leave you with. And Randy, again, you've inspired me. Um, you've been a huge influence, uh, positive influence on my career in this profession. And I want to thank you for that. Well, I want to thank you for everything you're doing in our space and in space in general. <laughs> and everybody watching, listening, remember, like, subscribe. We want to comment. ML, Duplication Nation MLM podcast or Duplication Nation YouTube channel. New show every Wednesday. And these this has turned into the PhD program of entrepreneurship the PhD program of empowering leadership. And it's because of these people who come on with me every week. And Jordan, thank you for being the one this week. This was amazing. And I can't thank you enough. Thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe. <laughs>